Welcome to the Awareness and Action Podcast, a show dedicated to pulling the best out of you through awakening new ideas in you. We all have goals and desires in life. What most of us lack is a blueprint to transform and succeed. On the Awareness and Action Podcast, we cover many ideas and plans to get you over that hump and into your personal next level, no matter who you are. It's time to get into everything you never knew you needed to ask. Now, here's your host, Jock Brokus, exponential spiritual coach, helping you to see the unseen, here to help you push past your own perceived limitations. Let's get right into today's show. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Awareness in Action. I am your host, Jock Brokus, and today I have got an amazing guest. I have never normally um, interviewed a lot of people on my shows personally, but we have done in other platforms and other podcasts. But this is someone that I wanted to wait to get on as a first guest because uh, he's been very influential in things that I've done. And uh, when I first seen this guy, I was on a course and I first seen him, I thought, this guy is absolutely off his head. And he is, uh, you can't be that happy. And um, God knows what I'm going to learn out of this. So we'll just see. And I kind of went there to see what he knew. And I was very, very surprised at what I find out. So I'm introducing my guest today, Jason Goldberg, who is a world-renowned coach. Um, Jason, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thanks, man. I, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And I mean, in the, in that course that you were in where you saw me, I was really high on narcotics the entire time I was doing the course. So that's why <laughs> I look the way I look. Now, I mean, now I'm sober. I'm way less happy than when I was addicted to drugs. No, I'm kidding. There were no drugs involved. I was high on life and I was high on being able to to assist people like you and doing more of the stuff you love. So I'm so happy that course brought us together, man. You know, it's, it's interesting because I went on the course with a totally, I, I, I suppose like, not, not the wrong idea, but I was like, right, I've been in the media game for quite a while. I kind of know a few things and, you know, let's see if there's anything that I can learn because I was putting a couple of courses and things together and I thought, you think you know it. You think, you know, you've, you think you've been there, you've seen it, you've done it, you've seen all the mistakes. And then I watched you coming out and I'm like, well, I, this is really fast and he's really, and I, I honestly was like, this is hitting me straight on there. But I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, stick with it and and my god what what an amazing course it was and i've trained with other people you know like rich litvin and stuff like that you know but you have a, an amazing outlook to the way that you do things tell me thank you man tell, tell the listener what i mean everything about you is just right out there well, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, my whole thing is like, I'm, I'm really guided by some really basic principles and it's, it's not, and it's not just guided by principles and like how I teach or how I like do things for others, but how I show up for myself. And, and I say they're guiding principles because I, I practice them all the time, except for when I don't. Uh, and there's plenty of times I don't, and I, and I'm not, I, you know, I'm not by any stretch of the imagination, infallible, happy all the time, uh, always glass half full, always have a happy outlook and perspective. That's just to me, that's reserved for sociopaths and the people that are heavily medicated. <laughs> and I'm either one of those at, at this time. I may become a sociopath. Who knows? Uh, you know, there's always shooting for the stars. I'm a sociopath. I'm a sociopath. Don't bother me or do. I don't care because I'm a sociopath. So, uh, so, so it, it, could, it could be that. But the guiding principles for me are kind of twofold. 
Number one, my kind of uh, one-line business plan slash one-line life plan is to try to leave everybody I meet with at least 5% more joy and at least 5% less suffering. That, that's all I care about. Personal interactions, familial interactions, romantic interactions, friendly interactions, professional interactions, whatever it is, I want to leave everybody I meet with at least 5% more joy, 5% less suffering. I don't always do that. Sometimes I do more than five, whatever. It's not up to me. But at least I, I see you do more than five. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, but, but five is like doable, right? Because if it was like 50%, then all the pressure comes in. And it's actually, you know, that that one-line business plan and the reason I picked 5% is, is a part of the guiding principle that, that I try to live by. Because if we say, uh, I want to leave everybody I meet with 50% more joy or 50% less suffering. Now it becomes pressure filled. You have now to live up to that. Yeah, now it becomes heavy. And, and now I'm putting significance on my outcome. And now the outcome is more important than me just connecting with a person. 5% doesn't feel like I need to like perform. 5% doesn't feel like I'm on the hook for something. It doesn't feel like it's something I need to like work really hard at. When I'm just being super present and allowing my natural joy and my natural love of humans to show up, the 5% is a natural byproduct. So, so it's just me having that intention in my head of, you know, how can I activate joy in people's lives? And that's kind yeah, of my guiding I find really important though you're talking about activating joy and and what I found about you when I first came across you and I was learning with you and studying with you and I was thinking he's right he's how can you be happy it wasn't and I got your book you know cute where's your book bring your book up I'm such a bad marketer it wasn't always joy for you was it because you struggled no. I mean you, this is the story that people understand is that you you weren't always like this and, and had an amazing business and became an amazing coach you struggled. I mean, you seriously went through it with weight and everything else. Tell us about that. Yeah, and we can we can drop the D at the end of that. I struggle, right? This is this is again the human experience. This is not something where I'm like over the struggle and I never struggle again. I, I definitely still struggle. And it's it's so important for me to always say that because there's there's such a there's such a Cinderella mentality in this world and personal growth that here's where I was. I had a major dip in my life. I had this terrible tragedy. I was at my rock bottom and I turned it all around. Now look at me, my life is, you know, roses and butterflies. And I feel like that sets up a really unrealistic expectation for people who are on the path of transformation to think that you only do it right if you are at a place where you never struggle anymore. And to me, my entire journey, and I didn't know this when I started on the journey, but now being able to look back, I can say this, my entire journey and my entire focus on personal growth as it relates to me and personal growth as it relates to the people that I work with is not immunity, it's navigation, right? It's not how do, how do you become immune to stress and fear and, and, and hopelessness and, and whatever it is. It's not about how do you become immune to that stuff. It's about how do you navigate that stuff when it shows up. And so when the window of time for me goes from, uh, it took me a week or two weeks or a month to get over this thing to now it maybe takes me an hour or two hours or a half a day, that's transformation. That, that's a big deal. And that's what I want people to focus on is mm. the window of time closing for you. So, so for me, going back to kind of my, my story growing up, I was always the class clown. I was always the joker. I was always the center of attention. I was the one that would do like little, uh, little music shows with, I would drag my cousins into doing little music shows with me and performing for the rest of the family and being the ham, being mm. on stage. And I've always been that way. But but from a young age, the reason I developed that skill, which now serves me, but back then it wasn't to serve me, it was to protect me, 
was because I didn't feel a lot of enoughness. I didn't feel like I had a lot to offer in the world. And so once I found that I would both get approval for and get in trouble for being a class clown, making people laugh, things like that, I really leaned into that because that became my value proposition in society. Again, as a kid, I didn't have this language, but now looking back, that's what I did. So, so for me, my default growing up and my default, if I don't continue doing the inner work is to take a lot of things way too seriously, to take myself way too seriously, to let things really get to me at a deep level, to allow my brain to go crazy, ruminating over thoughts over and over and letting fear and anxiety attract other thoughts of fear and anxiety and letting that become an experience of my life. That's how it always was for me. I shouldn't say always. There, of course, were periods where I didn't feel that way. But that was my default for the first 30 years of my life before I really got into personal growth and started yeah. recognizing, hey, I'm creating this experience of my life. So, yeah, man, my default was always to be serious, to be stressed. I had terrible anger issues. I was the teenager that would punch holes in walls. I was the 20-something oh. that would chase people in traffic if they cut me off and scream and yell at them. And I was on antidepressants for 15 years. Like I had suicidal ideation far into my 20s. This was me being the happy, joyful guy was not my default. And so if it's not been the default for you, please know you're in good company, I promise. So how, how did you, what, what was the, the, I mean, obviously your book talks a lot very personally about how you do these things. You know, the prison break, it was a great book and I recommend anybody read it. But what was your defining, what was your point, your defining point that said, I can't freaking live like this anymore. Yeah. That's what yeah. I'm going to do. Yeah. And, and this is, this is the funny thing about that jock is like, you know, I hear that question as like, what was your, what was your wake up call? Right. And, and the funny thing about wake up calls is that they happen every day, right? If you have an yeah. alarm on your phone or something, you get a wake up call every day. You have a choice as to whether you snooze it or whether you get out of bed. So for 29 years, I had wake up calls uh, about my weight. Uh, at, at, at one point in my highest weight, physical weight, I was 332 pounds. I think it's about 155 kilos for, for anybody who's, who's using that measurement. Uh, and so I was, and I was really big from a very young age, but by the time I was 29, I was 332 pounds and I just had so much uh, sadness and depression in my life. And my, my wife at the time, my, my now ex-wife, uh, she would find me sometimes in the closet on the floor in our home crying uh, because my clothes felt so tight. I felt so uncomfortable in my body because I was so overweight. And so the, the kind of wake-up call that I finally stopped snoozing and I finally listened to actually happened when I was 29 years old, when I was 332 pounds. This is when I was still in my corporate job. So I was the director of engineering and operations for a tech uh, consulting firm, management consulting, tech consulting firm in Florida for seven years. Yeah. And this was this was kind of at the height of that. So making well over six figures in my you know mid to late 20s. And I tried to make a purchase online on Amazon for some socks. Yeah, like, the book, yeah. yeah I love my socks. Uh, I don't have any fun ones <laughs> on today, but it, with COVID, I wear fun socks less because I'm wearing shorts all the time. And my, my fun socks being pulled up to my calf look a little weird, but that's beside the point. So I tried to make this purchase, got declined, and I didn't know what was going on. So long story short, and this is kind of the whole first chapter of Prison Break, I called the bank and I'm, of course, in my typical angry fashion yelling and screaming and being like, why the hell can I not make a purchase? I know there's money in the bank. What the mm -hmm. hell is wrong with you people? And what they finally told me was that they had uh, deactivated my card because there was some potentially fraudulent activity on the card. And so where most people would be really uh, thankful, like, hey, thanks so much for you protecting my yeah, yeah, I got, I got pissed off. You're sure not Scottish. <laughs> I, I, oh my God, that's for sure. So, so I got super pissed off, and I asked them. Uh, asked, I demanded to know uh, what these fraudulent charges were, and it turns out that the uh, 
the 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 uh, purported uh, 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 fraudulent charges were me eating at fast food restaurants four times in one day. There were four charges from four fast food restaurants in the city that I lived all in one day. And the bank said, well, there's no way somebody would eat at four fast food restaurants in a day. This must be fraudulent. And they cut off my card. And so when they told me that, for whatever reason in that moment, in that particular wake up call, I couldn't find the snooze button. I couldn't find my phone to throw it across the room so I wouldn't hear the alarm anymore. It was in my head and I could not blame anybody else in that moment. I had gotten so good at blaming everybody else saying, this is just the way I am or who can I blame about this? Those were my two kind of guiding mantras back then. And it really became the thing where I said, listen, this is a, this is a problem. Like, I know it's a problem. I feel like crap. I'm tired. I'm sluggish. My body feels bad. I don't feel good in my clothes. I don't feel good about myself as a human. But this particular instance was the first time where I said, something has got to change. I don't know what it is, but something's got to change. And that's where I started on this path of personal growth as a part of my transformation. If you are a professional coach and would like to join a growing community of coaches online, join us free on the Coaching Support Group. Find us online at coachingsupportgroup.co. See you on the inside. What was the first, do you remember the first book that you ever picked up on transpersonal growth? I do, yeah, and I hated it. It was, uh, it was, <laughs> but I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why I hated it. And this is funny, also, if you look at this. <laughs> yeah, no, this is, this is a good lesson for anybody who's, who's, who's watching this or listening to this. My first uh, personal growth book was Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And, of course. And let me, yeah, and let me tell you why I hated it. It's not the book's fault, it was, it was me. The reason I hated it is because throughout the entire book, he keeps saying, uh, something to the effect of, by now, you probably get the secret that I'm talking about. And I'm saying to myself, no, you asshole, I don't get the secret. Why don't you just tell me and stop being a dick about it? And, and, and it's because it did not occur to me in the name, think and grow rich, screw the grow rich part, that our thoughts create our reality. Now, anybody listening to this is probably like, yeah, dude, that's like personal growth 101. But I wasn't raised in an environment like that. I didn't get the power of language. Language was just words. So to complain constantly about things not going your way and, and being a victim and being a prisoner, that was just the language I grew up with. So it was like, if I grew up in a household that spoke Spanish and somebody said, hey, you know, other people speak French, I'd be like, wait, that's weird. I thought Spanish was the only language. A, a, yeah. English is the worldwide language. <laughs> yeah, I, got, I have no idea. So that book was trying to tell me there's a different language and my mind wasn't open to that yet. So it took me then reading and diving into other things to then be able to circle back and say, oh, now, now I get what he's saying. My thoughts create my reality, or at least my response to my thoughts, the significance I put on my thoughts creates my reality. I think Thinking Grow Rich misses the mark on some things. I think it's a good starter, but I think to really understand what's actually guiding our experience, you have to go a little bit deeper. But, but that was my first experience. And yeah, because I wasn't open to that yet, it didn't land for me. I think it's important for people to realize that you didn't just go from one particular, you know, struggling and everything else to like major success. I mean, you've, you've fought through all this. Oh yeah. And absolutely. you fought through your and you're still learning. A thousand percent. I, you know, one of the, one of the people I love the most in my world, I have, I have a few people I can point to two in particular that have been my biggest mentors and my biggest guides and my biggest teachers. Uh, uh, the, the, the one that really, really helped me to get this stuff in the beginning and still is is my coach and my and now has become my friend and we've created things together but steve chandler was my was my first and uh, he, I, he's incredible we've been coaching together since 2014 i know and uh, i'm on i'm in the, i'm in the group no i'm, in, I'm on the 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, we, we did some together. Yeah, absolutely. No, and he's he's incredible. And please, you know, whoever's listening to this, read all of his books because they're amazing. But he is one, and then the other one is Byron Katie. And the reason I bring this up is because Byron Katie's work, first of all, is just super powerful. But Katie has been in this work. People call her Katie if you're not familiar with her work. Uh, her name is Byron Kathleen, but people call her Katie for short. And Katie, I just heard recently talking about her work, and she's been doing this work now for God, I don't even know, thirty plus years yeah, or something. Yeah. And she will even tell you that she still a skeptic of her own work and so she shows up every day and continues to practice it no and i don't normally talk about my other side of things but i as people who know me in the media i'm i'm a professional medium so skepticism to me is an important factor whether you're learning to coach whether any job that you're doing or anything i i call myself a skeptical medium because it forces me to go beyond what is acceptable yeah, thousand percent. And I think that's important because that's what you do. You're you're skeptical. You go beyond what's what's what people expect. What what they expect. Absolutely. And, and I just, I mean, just for myself, I also think that I, you know, one of the challenges I have, and this is not a judgment at all, but one of the challenges I have with a lot of the people who are kind of the gurus or, or kind of the, the sages on the stage, if you will, yeah. is that it, it sometimes feels as if. Um, and, and this just may be because they're not communicating and it's not, I'm not saying it's true. It's just what I feel. My experience of it is that it's almost like they they're above the work that they're doing. Right. Yeah. Like they, that, that's not, they don't, they don't deal with that stuff anymore. And maybe there's a point where you get there. I've been in this work now for close to a decade and I do the work on myself every single day. And, and for me, I want to do the work on myself every single day because the day that I get arrogant enough to think that I don't still have work to be done is the day that I need to stop trying to coach other people. Because it's 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 unrealistic and it's unfair and it's and I'm not going to be able to connect to people as deeply as I do when I'm still doing the work on myself. You know, it reminds me of an analogy. You, you're like because uh, uh, I've studied martial arts for many many years, and I remember the very first day that I got you know managed to get my my first dan, my first black belt, and it was like congratulations, don't let it go to your head. That's just a dirty white belt. Exactly. And, and, that's and, that's, and that's huge. And that's it for you. You're, it's just a dirty white belt. You're you're always a beginner. You're never a professional. You're always you know striving to 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 go beyond your limitation. Yeah, and it's really funny actually. I interviewed a guy one time for for another another show I used to have, and he was a he was a martial arts master. He had trained in, in Japan, and and he was a, and he was a teacher for others, and he actually became a coach and did some really amazing things in the world. But he's the one who told me the story about the, the power of uh, the power of and the origin of the beginner's mind as it relates to martial arts, and that the reason that black belt became the top level is because in the beginning, before there were you know there were actually manufactured belts of different colors, everybody had a white belt. And they yeah. would just work their ass off for so many years that the dirt and the grime would get into the belt and it would turn the white belt into a black belt, right? It would be dirty. Right. And that's how you knew that they were masters because they had put in all that time. But the really interesting thing is that because they they never washed it and it was kind of just always there, at some point from usage, the, the belt itself, the top layer of the belt would start to fray yeah. and the dirty black parts would come off and now you're left with a white belt again. Perfect analogy. Yeah. You're, you're constantly in the flow of learning and being in the beginner's mind. And, and that's actually in a lot of ways where dopamine comes from anyway. So if you're looking to have more dopamine, learn new stuff and that will that will trigger that in your brain. What made you what made you think? I mean, because you don't just jump from being the boss in a freaking tech company and go, hey, I'm just gonna walk out and freaking coach people now. You know, I got it. What, what, yeah. I mean, why? 
Yeah, it's what's well, interesting. So, so my first taste of coaching happened in my in my last corporate job. Uh, so, my in my last corporate job, in that that job where I was the director of engineering, I had uh, in between at any given time between twelve and fifteen very high level engineers that were my direct reports. And what I noticed was that everybody, including myself, was extremely overworked. We were doing you know se- sometimes seventy eighty hour weeks. We had a lot of pressure on us. We were you know taking care of IT infrastructure for hospitals and banks. And there's no you don't clock out like you're on call twenty four seven, especially for hospitals and stuff. And we had these really intelligent people making a lot of money uh, as engineers, but they were burnt the hell out and the morale was just dipping. And I felt personally responsible to do something to bring that up. And so I started researching and I come across coaching. Now it's not necessarily the kind of coaching that we do now, but it was like internal coaching for your employees. And so I went to my boss and I said, Hey, there's this thing called coaching. I really want to do it. I feel like our people are struggling. And, uh, and, and there was nothing in the budget to allow me to go to this thing that I wanted to go to, to learn about coaching. And so I paid for it out of pocket and I went and did this two day training thing. And it was about kind of management and coaching. I brought it back. I started having every other week one-on-one meetings with each one of my direct reports and their productivity went up. The morale went up. People stopped feeling so burnt out. So I was really getting into it. I really loved it. And this is before I even dove into personal growth at all. So then once I, I started diving into personal growth and started having my own coach, I was experiencing all this transformation. And at some point there was a little, a, a little um, spark inside of me that said, you can't keep this to yourself right? It's like, if you go to an amazing restaurant and it's incredible, you want to tell all of your friends about yeah. it. You got to go try this restaurant. It's the best thing ever. Make sure you get the chicken parm, right? <laughs> and, and so it was the same thing with coaching, but I didn't go right into coaching because I, I actually had talked to somebody who was a coach, somebody who was pretty high up in the Tony Robbins organization. I told him I wanted to be a coach and he's like, yeah, you know what? You know, it's just, it's probably not for you. You know, you've been in tech this whole time. I don't really think anybody would really take you seriously as a coach and all these different things. And I was, I was kind of dejected by it. He kind of, kind of squashed my dream yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And so it was always in the back of my mind, but I kind of didn't think it would be possible for me. So when I left my last corporate job, I actually had two other startups, uh, one that was in the transportation space and one that was in the, uh, the space the space space, uh, working with NASA and the shuttle program to commercialize their, their technology. Wow. And, uh, and so I, I did those two things, but the common thread throughout all those things were mentorship and coaching and personal growth. So it wasn't until kind of end of 2013, uh, beginning of 2014 that I was really all in, uh, on, on doing coaching. So I had my two other startups in between leaving my corporate job and getting into coaching, but I always knew that helping other people, and there's probably a ton of people listening to this that feel the same way. And, and you as well, Jack, mm. that I wanted to make a meaningful contribution. I wanted to help people and it, it served my ego to feel like I was making a contribution, but it served my ego in a way that dr- drove me to create more service in the world. And that's my goal, man, is I want to serve as many people as I can. And do you think, one of the things that, I, that I've noticed that you, you talk about, that you had lots of experience in, and here's something that I have basically said, you know, for a long time is a coach with no experience can't really give you anything. A coach with experience is a master because you cannot really help someone transform unless you have experienced the struggles. There's a very famous spirit guide in, in our side of things who says that, that everybody who gives service to humanity of some form goes through struggle to be able to have empathy and to be able to, to share that knowledge. So what do you think about the state of play with, with things today? You think I see that a lot of the coaches that are really respected seem to have a lot more life experience, yet we have so many youngsters, 18, 20-year-olds, come in calling themselves life coaches that have no experience. You know, you've had to fight through that. Where do you, where do you What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I think it's a really good question. I think that, uh, you know, like a lot of things in this world, uh, different jobs and different opportunities get really glamorized, yeah. and they also maybe seem like they're easy. 
and uh, and and building any business is is a challenge, whether it's coaching or or an ice cream shop. I mean, they're all there's there's challenges in any any business. But I think uh, I think there are a lot of really well intentioned uh, younger coaches with no experience who really just want to help people, and I think that's beautiful. And I hope that they continue to be on that path and serve in whatever they whatever, whatever way they can. But I really do think that it's so important to have real life experience and to have actually had a level of transformation yourself. It's funny. I was actually uh, listening to a podcast last night with this guy who's a, a empathy uh, a, a researcher and empathy professor uh, at Stanford. And he said in their world, in the world of psychology and psychology research, they say that research is me search, right? Like searching within yourself. I would, yeah, that, I would agree. Yeah. That. I Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I really think that it is, if you want to be a coach and you want to have the best chance of creating transformation for people, facilitating transformation, you have to have had some life experience. It, it's a, it's a well-known thing. People will say you can learn a lot more from a recovering alcoholic than yeah. from somebody who studied alcoholism. Right. And that brings me, that's a nice segue as well, because that brings me on to a question that I think that is really heavily loaded and, and I'm going to hit you with it. Do you, do you feel responsible for your people you coach? Yeah. So it's a really great question. So, so I, I used to feel responsible for them. Uh, there are probably moments where it still comes up, but there's a really, uh, a really, I, I think, uh, helpful distinction that I teach to all my students because primarily a lot of them, a lot of my clients are coaches. Is this this distinction that actually came up for me while I was coaching a leader in an organization, a, a non-coach, obviously coaching internally for his people, but uh, but we were in this conversation and he just felt all this responsibility for his people's happiness and their morale and their 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 income and their family life, and he just he took it all on. He's such a sweet guy and he just wants everybody to be happy, oh, but it was killing him right? It was just, it was killing him to take that all on. And so the distinction that came up that I shared with him that was really helpful for him and has been helpful for, for a lot of my clients and myself is this distinction of responsible for versus contributing to, right? right. I'm not responsible for your happiness, but I'm going to do everything I can to contribute to it. I'm not responsible for your results, but I'm going to do everything in my power to contribute to it. And, and that small shift it creates space between me and the person so I can trust them for the absolutely capable and resourceful human being they are and not take on this role of being the coach that they're codependent on or the one who's responsible for all their stuff. And then I carry that all around. I really get to, it's really more of a service to them when I lean into contributing to instead of being responsible. For You're them. learning to create boundaries, which I think is a big problem for coaches. There's very little boundaries. They don't know how to separate or segregate that relationship between client and coach and that becomes a very dangerous boundary because it is, is non-existent. Yep, absolutely. And, and I just, there was, a, there was one of our clients in our, in our group program who just submitted a question into the, the group, uh, I think it was last week and he signed this brand new client and he was super excited about it. And then he got this email from the client after he sent him like a welcome email, like, Hey, I'm so excited for us to get started, blah, blah, blah. And the guy wrote back and said, yeah, I'm super excited too, um, especially if we're able to uh, create, you know, 300 new users for my new software product in the next 60 days, right? <laughs> and, and this was nothing they had even talked about doing. So, so my client, the student in our program was like, you know, I, I, I got to set a boundary here and I got to, you know, I got to tell him that that's not something I can promise him and all this other stuff. And I said, well, well you could, um, or you can look at what he's actually saying here. He's just telling you that's his goal. He's not yeah. putting that on you. You're taking it on as something that you need to create for him now. Yeah. The response that, that I would say and the response that I invited him to give to that person is, I'm super excited to help you create that. What do you think needs to happen so that that goal is a high reality, right? The difference between creation. Exactly. It's a co-creative thing. So yeah. I'm happy when a client says, yeah, you know what would really make this coaching engagement amazing is if I find my soulmate in the next 60 days. Now I can say, oh my God. 
I have to help them find their soulmate in the next 60 days. Or I could say, I want to be really clear with you. I am not promising you you're going to find your soulmate in 60 days. Those are two polarities. They're both valid. They may not be the most effective. Whereas instead, I could be in the middle and say, I would love for you to have that outcome in the next 60 days. What do you think needs to happen as a part of our work for that to be a higher likelihood of success? It's not my job to do it. It's a job for us to co-create together. Let me ask you something that probably I never hear any coaches being asked. And, and, and maybe, maybe once I've, I've heard Steve Chandler come up with it. What about your failures? Surely you must have had failures that, that are perceived as failures as a coach. How has that made you who you are? And what can you give an example? What kind of failures do you think you, that you've experienced? Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, there's been, you know, the, the challenge here, it, the, the failures... So that there are failures in so much as uh, somebody will say they didn't get what they wanted out of the coaching. There's been, I, I now I can count uh, for private one-on-one clients. I've only had it happen one time in, you know, in seven years. And it was in the very beginning of, of my coaching where somebody said, the coaching's not working for me. I want my money back. And that was, oh my God, dude, gut punch. It wasn't, a, it was a gut punch followed by a, a knife in the neck, followed by somebody like breaking your neck, like one of those movies and like a Rambo movie. It was all the things like I could not have felt more, uh, 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 just crappy as a human. And like, I failed and thank God I had my coach to bring this to, 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 to get support around this. But what I realized there was that that was never, it was never about me. Now, are there ways that I could be a better coach? Absolutely. But what I noticed in that, in that, uh, that place there was that this person wasn't taking personal responsibility and this is not to put it on them. Them not taking personal responsibility is still my fault. Right. Mm -hmm. And my fault in so much as I didn't step into leadership when I saw all these different moments where they weren't taking personal responsibility. I was too afraid of saying the edgy, uncomfortable thing to say, hey, can we can we slow this down? There's something that I'm noticing. I don't know if it's real or not. So I just want to explore it with you. Are you open for me to share something that may be a little edgy for you to hear? And it's going to be edgy for me to say. Mm -hmm. I never had that conversation because had I had that conversation much earlier on in, the con in, in our coaching, we may have gotten to a place where he really saw that he was running some pattern and some conditioning that was stopping him from getting the results that he wanted. Again, doesn't mean that my coaching hasn't gotten way better and maybe there are other things that would have been better if I was coaching him now. But the fact of the matter is I wasn't skilled enough and I wasn't courageous enough in that moment to show up as a true leader. And that's scary. You know, one of the things that I'm, he I'm hearing you talking and I'm kind of tuning into you a little bit and I'm thinking, you know, it, it seems that you have also grown intuitively because beforehand where you really, it seems to me where you really reacted on material impulse it seems now that you are more of an intuitive thinker than you are before would that be fair to say yeah, well, it's, it's funny you say that because back to you being a medium, uh, I have a, a, one of my dear friends I was telling you about before we started recording who's a medium who I just talked to this morning. She keeps trying to convince me all the time that I have psychic abilities and I fight that so hard. I fight. I, I even I have fought listening to my intuition. Intuition has been something for years that I've kind of fought away and now I'm embracing it more. But it's funny you say that because she's like, you need to to listen more to your innate uh, intuitive and psychic abilities because they're there. And so to the point that you're saying, I do think over time, and I have an interesting relationship to intuition that I don't think it's strictly a, um, a source-based connection. I think intuition is a mix of your own experience, your own bias, your own judgments, your own prejudice, your 
own lens and this magical thing altogether. And so I think when you can spot trends or you are just really hyper observant because of what you've been through, that contributes to being even better, you know, more, more intuitive. So I think all those things together, all of the outer world things and then the kind of cosmos related things uh, have definitely uh, led me to be more intuitive with my, my process. You know, I, I'm a very, very grounded medium. I, I, I don't go for the whole new age kind of thing. I'm a typical Scotsman ex-soldier who's as grounded as you get. So it's interesting you saying that because that's the way I think of it. See, everybody in the world is intuitive. Everybody has a psychic capacity. But the way that I liken it is that some people can sing beautifully, can sing an operatic aria, and some people can't hold a note in a bucket. Mm. doesn't mean that they can't sing. It just True. means they don't have that capacity for the next level. And so every single person has, I remember I was teaching a course in Philadelphia many, many years ago and I had this judge on it and he didn't believe in anything. He was really skeptical. But as I broke down the scientific barriers, he was going away from there going, wow, I could, you could you know I could do that. But it's, yeah, I can. And that's all I've always said, you know, just because you have an intuitive capacity, doesn't mean to say it's going to make you a medium or it's going to make you a great psychic. And psychic is just the name means of the soul from Latin. So I think you're definitely right. There's a combination of experience and your own biological functioning as well as yeah. your vibrational aspect and all that goes with the cosmos and stuff like that. I agree with you 100%. I think that's a, that's a beautiful way to put it, man. It's, 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 it's just an interesting concept how people will look at something on a, on a material level and just put a label on it instantly and not really understand the reality of it, you know? Jack only works privately with a few individuals each year. And if you are looking for deep transformational coaching using awareness and action, then contact him at exponentialspiritualcoach.com or reach out on Instagram at Jack Brokus. What would you say to someone who's who wants to coach and you know what's what's the, the tip that you could give them that they, they want to coach, they've got a driving desire. What would be the thing that you would warn them about? And what is it you would uh, you'd push them forward? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think uh, the the thing that, that I would advise all coaches to do first and foremost is to experience coaching. Right. Like when, you know, when they say like every coach should have a coach, it's not, it's not because uh, it's like a checkbox. It's not like a thing like, you know, if you go work for a life insurance company, they say, well, you better invest in life insurance because if you don't invest in it, then nobody will take you seriously to invest in it with you. Sure. That, that could be one reason, like who's going to invest in you if you haven't also invested in a coach, but that's a very surface level reason. It's, it's the difference between reading the menu and eating the food right? I can read the menu of a restaurant and in my head envision like, oh, I bet that hamburger tastes juicy. But to sit down at the restaurant and eat it, that full sensual experience, when I then talk about that burger to somebody else, the way I talk about it is totally different. So for new coaches, get coached. Does it mean you need to go hire a $50,000 a year coach? Absolutely not. Get peer coaching if you're in some kind of coaching program. Yeah. Just make sure you are experiencing coaching at whatever level it is. Because if you don't know what it feels like, it's going to be very hard to create that experience for other people. So that's first and foremost, I'm not big on certification, I am big on education. So if you're going to get a certification because you want to learn, please do that. Certification is not going to be the thing that gets you clients. I have been asked one time in my seven plus years of coaching, if I have a certification and the, and that question actually had nothing to do with me having a certification. They wanted to know if they could trust that they would get results working for me. But as a coach, we have to be intuitive and listen enough to realize the question behind the question there. Yeah. Um, so that that's the first thing. As far as what I would warn coaches about, and it's again, it's what I would quote warn anybody who's an entrepreneur is that it takes time. 
Like there is no overnight thing. If you find anybody who says you're going to go from you know zero to six figures in six weeks, run. It's it's impossible I to know. That. Let me let me. I honestly, I've been on LinkedIn. I'm telling you, I've had one message in the past six months from someone who says, "Hey, listen, I, I love what you're doing, and I'm not selling you anything, but that was a great podcast. That was a great thing that you did." The rest of it is like, "Hey, let me get you to six figures with this funnel." And it's like, and, 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 and I mean, and the thing is that the challenge is, is that it will work for some people. I remember coaching a guy years and years ago, I think it was like 20, 2014 or something. And, and there was, there was somebody who came to me and hired me as a coach and his dad uh, hired a different coach and they were both trying to start coaching businesses. And so we're working together uh, for the you know first month and a half, we're at 45 days, maybe getting close to two months. And his dad had been working with the other person and he comes to the call one day and he goes, you know, I'm having, I'm having a problem with our coaching. And I said, cool. Like, I, I love when people tell me that. It's part of the agreements I make with my clients is if anything is not working for you, we agree that you're going to bring it up so we can actually talk about it. To me, that's feedback to make it better. I'm not going to take it personally. Yeah. And he came to me and said, this, this is not working. I said, cool. Well, tell me about that. What, what's not working for you? And he says, well, you know, we're, we're 45 days in and I haven't gotten any new any, any clients. My dad, on the other hand, has signed up six new clients in the same time that I've been here. And he said, and he's signing them at $5,000 a piece. So he's made 30 grand in the first month and a half. I've made zero. And I said, oh, cool. Well, what is uh, what is your dad coaching people on? Because this guy was kind of doing life coaching. I said, what is your dad coaching people on? He's like, oh, he's, he's a health coach. And I said, that, that's awesome that he's doing health coaching. What did your dad do before he became a health coach? He said, oh, he was a physician for 30 years. There you go. I said, oh, okay. So, so let's, let's just compare and contrast his starting point versus your starting point. You know, you're currently a server in a restaurant and there's nothing wrong with that. You're connecting with people and he was great at connecting with people in the restaurants and you have this beautiful innate skill to be present and connect with people. Your father has a 30, 30 year track record in the exact thing that he wants to coach people on now. And so it's just understanding that like where you start is a big thing. There are variables and there are so many different things here that if anybody says they have a blanket way to get you from anything to something else, it's bullshit. Run away from it. I love how you uh, what, it. Yeah. yeah. What you want to do, what you want to find in, in, a, in a training or in a coach is somebody who sees the world in the way that you want to see the world or in the way that you do see the world. So in other words, they're teaching you how to build your business in a way that feels in alignment with you. But more than anything else that they help you do, and this is something we say all the time with, with our program, is that we want you to do our thing in your way right? Yeah. Our thing is creating intimacy. It's being of yeah. service. It's being authentic. It's, it's focusing on mastery over being a dabbler and quick wins. It's really nailing the fundamentals and, and knowing how you can, uh, you, can you can create real transformation over time. That's what we care about. And we'll help you find a way to do that in your way. We're not going to force you to do it our way. So just make sure you're finding somebody that's really in alignment for you and give yourself space and time. If it was that easy to go from zero to six figures in six weeks, there would be tons more coaches making tons more money. The challenge is that most people will not stick around long enough for the thing to be successful. That's outstanding. Well, listen, I want to thank you for being on. Um, this this has been awesome, and I, and I want to do it again. There's so many other things that I could talk to you about that we could get out there. I definitely want to get you on again. No doubt I'll see you in the group and stuff like that. But tell people how they can get in touch with you. Tell them about your program. Let's get them interested. Yeah, absolutely. So you can follow me. The best place to follow me is Facebook and Instagram. Uh, I'm at the Jason Goldberg on, on all the platforms. Jason uh, Goldberg. Yeah, the, yeah. The, but you know, Jason Goldberg was taken on everything. And so I was like, well, what's the most pretentious thing that I can do? How about the Jason Goldberg or the Jason Goldberg? So yes, yeah, so I'm the Jason right. Goldberg and everything. It's, it's all out there. Um, for, for coaching stuff, you'll see all that stuff. I also have a podcast as well called the Jason Goldberg is Ruining Podcasting Podcast, which is super, super fun. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, that's actually quick. Get on 
on. It's a cracking podcast to listen to. It's, it's, it's fun, man. It's, yeah, it's fun. It's kind of part late night talk show, part uh, part podcast. Uh, and yeah, and I, and I help coaches to build their businesses, but to do it in a way where it feels really authentic, really aligned, and no funnels, no paid ads, no webinars, none of that stuff, just real deep levels of service uh, and connection. So you can find all that on, on my Instagram. Love it. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for being a guest, and I look forward to chatting to you soon. My pleasure, bro. Thanks for having me on, Jack. Perfect. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Awareness and Action Podcast. And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality and seeing beyond your material limitations. Stay connected directly through Instagram at Jock Brokus, or you can message me on ExponentialSpiritualCoach.com. Remember, perceive, believe, conceive. Don't forget to like us and subscribe to stay fully up to date. Until next time, make the most of every moment as they are the most precious ones that last forever. <laughs>